Hey guys, Spacey here, and welcome to Coralinda's podcast, Filmmaking, Actually. Today's episode is another in our ongoing series of Patreon-exclusive video panels made available in audio form uh, right here on the podcast for free. This is part two of our Ask Us Anything panel where Cora and myself answered questions. Um, yeah, so that's about it. And uh, enjoy part two. Well, be that as it may, I, that was the image I had in my mind was a man walking down the road, like a highway away from something, the camera, as it were. And then that shot ended up being in the short film that we did. So it kind of was from this image I had. So I'll do that. That's my process a lot is that rarely, if I have to come up with a story, usually it's just like, I'll just like, think abstractly we had one called dual flesh where i wrote the story and left the middle open to improv but the beginning and the end dictated the structure and it was just um father and a daughter sitting in the truck together like what does that look like what could that lead to if they're just i don't know what the story is they're just sitting in a truck together what does that mean how can you make that enigmatic and meaningful and evocative of something deeper than just two people sitting in a truck or a van i guess it was originally a van and then we, we had access to a truck, and so it became a truck. But it was a van, a work van. So it became take your daughter to work day, and it became, some, you know, that's... So, yeah, I always work from images, abstract images, or, 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 you know, very fixed, firm images, but it doesn't necessarily dictate the exact story. It's, it all, yeah, so I always find that kind of fascinating. That's my process. Anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to think for me, I often get scripts that I then work off of, or stories that I then work off of. But I think, I know when we do like the 48 hours ones, we get given prompts. So we're given a character, we're given a line of dialogue, we're given a genre. And then it's kind of how do you weave those elements together? Like once we had um, a silent film and we had a line of dialogue and I was like, how am I going to do this? And my best friend um, uh, was an ASL interpreter at the time. And I asked her, I was like, this is a 48 hour film project, you know, would you be cool helping us kind of translate some of it into sign language? So we made an entire film because it was a silent film that then led to, well, what if the character is deaf? And then it became, well, why is she deaf? And um, the original, the, the prompt was they had to be a former child. I thought it was child star. It actually was child actor. So we got in a little trouble and they cut us out of all the awards, which sucked, but um, it was a former child star. Um, so we decided that it was a dancer who there was an explosion or something happened at one of her uh, one of her performances and her ears were injured and so she lost her hearing and she couldn't dance anymore. So we ended up creating this and we had the talent that we had already spoken with being there were dancers. So we had silent film, we had access to dancers, it had to be about somebody who used to be a star who isn't anymore and um, we had to have a line of dialogue i forget what the line of dialogue was but the line of dialogue was going to have to be in asl so it was it was no way absolutely no way oh yeah that's right no way absolutely no way so what we did is when we had somebody bump into her and recognize her as a star he signs no way absolutely no like he doesn't realize that it's her and so he's signing to her and she doesn't know sign language because she was injured and never got you know really got into the deaf community she's just kind of an isolated in this world this very quiet sad world and um, he takes her to a dance instructor who knows sign language and understands how to use the rhythm and the, the feeling of the vibrations of the music. So all of these factors led to us create the story about a dancer who has to learn how to dance who can't hear music anymore. And who has to feel the vibration through her feet to be able to dance. 
And I love that story and I, I love what it, what it um, means and how it all came together. And um, we did it in black and white. And one of the feedback that we got from the film was, I love, they, they loved that it was black and white. And they said, because she didn't have one of her senses, you took away one of her senses. And I also Of course, the real reason was I didn't want to do color grading, so I just <laughs> stripped it down to black and white. That's... The real reason it's black and white is because we weren't going to color grade. Um, and the thing so, is, Corey did such great work on coordinating the wardrobe and the colors and stuff. She did a lot of work. And then I turned it black and white, and she's like, what are you doing? Is it black and white? But we also had, it was 48 hours. We had, and like, we did it together. So like, um, he was, he was the lead director on that. I helped with the story and the choreographing and the production design, which whatever. Um, and then I also played the deaf dance teacher, but, um, while he, like, while he was directing one scene, I was choreographing the dance with one of the other dancers. And then he would be doing another scene and I'd be working with somebody else. And then like, we tag teamed it through. Um, but yeah, as far as what, what thing inspires us to tell a story, um, sometimes it's a mix of many any, things, a, a mix, mix of many things. I mean, I will say like, um, we're doing this film, look to the sea, um, which is based on a short story called the lighthouse keeper's daughter by Metaphorist, also known as Sarah Daly. And, um, when I read that story, I had such a powerful image in my head like Spacey talked about the shot that he had that he wanted to use. And I had such an exact vision like of cinematography of how I wanted to show that. And it was so vivid. And I just saw these kids, they were just real, like the, the, the guy and his daughter and what was happening to them. It was all just there in three dimension in my imagination. And when I sat down to write the script, it was with off of that image. So um, yeah, hopefully that answers the the question, no, it is not always the story. And yes, it can always be something else. <laughs> there you go. Um, yay. All right. We have one, two, three, four left. Should we um, try to like go through these a little quicker because we're yeah, well, almost to the hour? Yes. I will say we did start a little bit late, so we can go a little bit after, but I do want to keep it to an hour. Um, this next one is from uh, Alex Douglas of the Jive Aces. Big shout out to the Jive Aces if you're listening. Hey. Um, download hey. all of their music because they're amazing. Um, uh, they, um, When writing a feature which has characters you get to know over a longer period of time, how do you ensure they sound individual and real without just giving them random arbitrary quirks? That's a fantastic question. I have a, an answer that I'm excited about sharing but i want to hear spacey's um you know it's funny because i i i guess what my approach would be is well it's interesting because i think it's probably difficult for some people i imagine it's really difficult because it it is a skill i think that requires you in in order to make not just like to populate them with dialogue that sounds different like oh they speak this way and the other character speaks that way because one is educated and one is uneducated or one is the the white character or the whatever another race and you, you it's easy that you'll see these in certain scripts where the dialogue is reflective of very narrow or antiquated or even a I don't want to say offensive but just it can be offensive because they don't have a realistic idea of what 
people sound like. They have a caricature in their head of what that person sounds like, who is of that political affiliation or of that, you know, believes in that God or something, right? And so it kind of, when you have this view of people where you have the right view and other people are wrong, that can affect how you write certain characters. Because, well, obviously, if this character is this type of character, then you have to write them to that extreme and make a cartoon out of them. And I think the best way to make them individual is to genuinely be interested in people who do not think the way that you do. To be intrigued and not necessarily enamored by people who are believe differently from you or act wrongly. It just means that you have an, you just, you can understand and feel something for even the worst kind of person. And so how do you make them different? Um, you, it's about developing this sort of skill where you can look at things from multiple point of, points of view. And so if 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 it's like what did what does Dwight Schrute say? Uh, I say to myself, oh, yeah. would it would an idiot do that thing? If the answer is yes, then I do not do that thing, right? So don't automatically write your characters as idiots. Write them to the top of their intelligence, right? Just because somebody is um, didn't graduate high school, it may mean that they use limited words or they don't understand. They might try to use big words and they don't understand their meaning. You know, you can lean into that, but you don't have to make th that quirk be sort of this, the, make them the butt of jokes. Lean into it. That Maybe it's embarrassing for them. So you're just, I think a lot of it is, if it resonates with you in that, again, it's that collective uncon unconscious um, or just that general community community sense that we have of what it means to be embarrassed, what it means to be uh, proud of someone or yourself. Um, anything that in elicits genuine emotions that other than just like, why is this person saying this? Why, if it doesn't feel real to you, then that's probably a great place to start. If it doesn't feel real to you or, or again, like, well, now the character wouldn't say that. Well, what would they say? Make them say the opposite. You know, and then just as an exercise, make them say something that they completely would, that would be so out of character. And then that'll, that'll let you know, okay, they wouldn't say, you know, the grandmother wouldn't say, I'm going to become a, you know, a stripper. Maybe she's not going to take off all of her clothes for, you know, for whatever reason, but maybe she would. And then if you, if you realize, oh, that's the character, then go with that. Uh, but I think what the exercise is to show you, sometimes it, you have to give them uh, yeah, maybe I have a peg leg for some reason, write it that way. And if you're like, why am I writing them with a peg leg? Maybe that gives you then an idea of what you should do, which isn't what you're currently doing. And that requires multiple drafts, which isn't fun, but it's necessary for, I think for a lot of writers is go through the steps of development, not to overdevelop and then get into development hell, which, you know, then those things never get made, but give it the time, the proper time where you can weed out the weak character traits or character bits of dialogue. And then I think they will become individual through that um, rewriting process. Because yeah. if you take the right approach, that is that you basically love everybody, even the most <sighs> disgusting and horrible people in Europe, whatever, everybody has their own version of that. But whatever, you have to generally love people and think 
that at heart, people have the best intentions and are good and want things to go well. You know, or I think you have to know. Sorry, we were going to do this one quick. Um, oh, yes, of course. I think, <laughs> I think you have to. You're welcome. I think what you're what what I'm hearing you say is that maybe not even so much loving them, but you just have to understand them and know them and be able to see them. Like you have to see. Yeah. Them well, you can't hate people. them. You can't hate them. Well, I don't know. I think whatever. I mean, maybe you can love. Maybe you can love. Maybe you can love to hate them. Maybe you can love to hate them, but I don't know that you can be be angry at yourself for loving a character. Maybe you can be like, wow, I kind of like this some part of this character, even though you're writing a villain. You know, there's some part of them you have to be able to can, understanding. I think engenders. And appreciation. I, I can I can we can just we can agree to disagree. We can agree to disagree about that. Um I will say just because um I do wanna we still have a couple questions. I yes. didn't cut you off. I know I talked long too. No, I talked way too um, long. I just got excited. But no I know it's it's a writing question. It's right up your alley. Um the um the most for me it's kind of simple. Um in order to have characters be individual, make them individual. Every single human being on the world is different. They all have different pasts, different hopes, different dreams. You can homogenize them as much as you want. You can take a group of identical looking teenage girls in the exact same outfit, but if you sit them down and talk to them and really talk to them and peel it back, they're all completely different. And I think knowing that, knowing that humanity is comprised of over 7 billion completely unique individual perspectives, points of view and experiences, and really defining before you get for, too far into the script, defining who these characters are and what makes them that way. Um, we had a scene once with a guy who put down a beer bottle and then goes and does this thing. And I remember we were talking about it and Spacey was like, hell, he should just throw it. Like, have him just throw the beer bottle, who cares? And I was like, no, who he is in this moment and who he is as a person right now in his life and everything he's going through, he wouldn't throw the beer bottle because that's too much effort for what he has. He would put it down. And the actor completely understood the character. And when we got to set and we were filming it, the actor did something even more perfect than anything either of us could have written. And I think understanding various forms of human behavior, understanding a little bit of human psychology, for lack of a better word, knowing that people who are feeling different emotions will act different ways. You know, somebody who's really angry will do something that somebody who's really happy probably wouldn't. And knowing where your character is psychologically helps you decide, you know, do they slam the door or do they walk out apathetically and leave the door open? They don't even shut it. Do they hear what the person in front of them is saying or not? And really defining all of these different aspects of your characters before you even dive into the story, for me, helps me write for the character because when they're speaking, I can take on their point of view and write the words that would be coming out of somebody with their mentality's mouth. And that's obviously limited by my own experience and my own perspectives and observations of people. Um, but just remembering that they're different. And then one thing that I love to do is we'll gender flip characters. Even if you just do it as a writing exercise mid your draft, just flip them. Don't do anything other than change the name and change the pronouns and read your script. And I'll never forget, there was one film where we were reading it, and I was like, why is this one, there's one character whose dialogue is so boring. I'm like, why is this guy, he's like the most boring person ever. And Spacey just looks at me deadpan, and he's like, because he was originally written as a woman. Because he was originally written as a woman. Yep. And I was like, oh, you're right. I didn't write that first draft. And no offense to the writer who did, but that's, it was a very boring character, and they were one of the only females in the script at the time. It happens. It does. Female writers can make men to be very boring too. 
yeah, I've read some some male characters by women, and I'm like, we don't just sit on the couch and drink beer, you know. <laughs> we do other things, watch football, <laughs> but um, wear yeah. boxer shorts. Oh my goodness! Um, I think <laughs> knowing, having a basic understanding of of what makes humans human, and understanding, you know, Spacey always says, "Well, what does the character want?" And I'm like, I don't know. That doesn't matter. But it actually is relevant, and I'll say that publicly. Um, it's funny because but, we had that conversation, and it's, it's always funny when we're like, well, what's the want versus the need? And she's like, I, the, the one and the need are the same. And I'm like, well, okay. And then it's it always gets teased out later as we're sitting with the characters. And it's like, oh, they want this, right? It's up here. But really, they need what they need is down here. So it's interesting when it's like, oh, the need is can be the need can be summed up in one word sometimes. And that's well, always. Or they're both here. They're just different. Sometimes they're, yeah, sometimes they're at odds. Yeah, sometimes they're right here. But it's interesting when you can summarize the want at, as a paragraph and the need is like one word. It's, that's always indicating that you have a strong, real individual characters because you can summarize, oh, well, they want that. They want that thing that they can't yeah. get because they're up here trying to go, well, I want, you know, but they want love. They want respect. They want someone to care about them. Yeah. They want to feel needed. <laughs> Maybe the need is they want to be needed. They want to be needed. But yeah, I think um, remembering that your character is like knowing who your character is, what makes them that way, because then the question of what do they say, how do they say it, how do they act, what are their mannerisms? You know, if you have somebody who um, names on the wall, for example, the, there's a soldier who went to high school, he was on the football team, he got drafted, he showed up, you know, he, he's, he's always, he worked at a factory, he was always just a wheel in the cog, always a wheel in the cog, and that was who he was. And in that part of the movie is him breaking from that. And every single thing he does, it's all wheel in the cog. And then there's another character who has a very different background, and we know his backstory, and he acts completely different, even though they're both soldiers because of who he is and it gives him different dialogue different way of speaking he looks different you know everything about him is different yeah it so, does i think that's strong great insight that's a great insight because maybe it all it requires is to have a character come along who is the exact opposite and yet they both are wearing the same skin right two soldiers two american soldiers and one is this way. Well, don't spoil it <laughs> well, yeah i'm just saying one is one way Sometimes having the opposite come along is a great way to elicit individuality is to have its opposite come up against it. Yeah. One thing I do, and then I'll move on to the next question. Yes. I also sometimes, uh, we take a writing class um, every week where we do these like 10 minute writing challenges. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've done is I've written a 10 minute writing challenge from the perspective of one of my characters. And if you just give yourself 10 minutes, give yourself a prompt word, sit down and just take on the perspective of your character and write a short story from their point of view and their experience. And um, I remember one um, for our film Catching the Light, one of the characters is the older sister and her mother and her youngest sister get killed in a car accident. So what I did, this isn't in the script, this is nowhere in the story. I wrote a short story about where she was the day of the accident and why she wasn't in the car and what she was doing. And that was so, there was so much of her that got poured into this that gave me such a strong foundation for the actress to use as well. And she, she ran with it. She had like a whole notebook full of notes about who this girl was and what her life was like. And she went to France once, like all this stuff, but she wanted to go to France. Um, but um, yeah, that's understanding humanity and knowing that everybody's different and really knowing who your characters are and making decisions based off of 
um, based off of where they're at emotionally and where they, what they're at mentally and what they can handle and process mentally, I think is personally, that's our best way. Of and I might take the Roberto Benini approach. I love everybody. You know, I might be like, <laughs> but that's just my approach. It might not work for you. Works for me. Valid, valid. All right. Um, speaking of writing, so this is from Eileen. Um, and I didn't write down what platform this was from. Oh, Eileen. No, not Eileen. Not oh, Eileen. Different. Our actress, Eileen. Different Eileen. Different Eileen. Well, that's okay. Hi, Eileen. Different Eileen. Um, I think this was on LinkedIn. I could be wrong. It'll be something. Yay, you're welcome. You're welcome, um, He just said awesome. Thank you. Yay. Um, uh, so it's, has the industry, sorry, as the industry keeps shouting out about listening to new voices and opening doors for greater diversity, how are those new voices supposed to get their scripts read? How does anyone get past the gatekeepers when they are not yet a name? So <laughs> Stacey's like, uh, <laughs> I will say again, because we do have, we do get pitched scripts. We also, I, I sit on both sides of that table, so I can just speak to my experience. Um, the number one way to get nowhere in Hollywood is to show up before anybody has any idea who you are or how amazing you are and just be like, Ugh, I'm amazing. Why aren't you listening to me? And there's unfortunately a very wide deficit, especially in Hollywood, between ego and talent. And it makes it very difficult to see talent because it's very hard to get past all the egos sometimes. And when you're bombarded with ego all day, it can be very obnoxious. <laughs> so the best way I can say to, and this is something I found from my own experience, when I, if I show up for somebody and I'm like, I'm amazing, why don't you want to talk to me? First of all, I don't know that I'd ever feel comfortable doing that, but um, if I, when, whenever I've expressed my frustration at not being heard, I should say, because I have done that in probably about two or three different pitch meetings where I've been like, you know, I feel like these are really good, why are they getting nowhere? Um, that usually gets me nowhere. When I start with, again, it goes back to humanity. When I start with establishing basic human contact, hi, thank you for your time. I'm really appreciative of you, you know, giving me this opportunity. There's nothing demeaning about being humble and being genuine about it. I am so thankful every minute that I have the opportunity to speak to someone or pitch to someone or someone more established than I am is listening to me, not because they're not, they're everything and I'm nothing, but because they have gotten to where they've gotten and they don't have to spend their time listening to me and they, they're choosing to do that. And I am, I'm genuinely thankful. And I think whether you're auditioning or you're pitching a script or you're pitching a screenplay, having that genuine respect goes a long way. And nobody likes anybody, whether they're super important or not super important, who walks around going, do you know who I think I am? Like, Nobody likes that, no matter who they are. Nobody likes it when a celebrity does it, and nobody likes it when a production assistant does it. They especially don't like it when a production... Actually, I don't know. I think people more don't like it when a celebrity does it. It's like extra root. But um, people just... Nobody responds to that. Everybody likes genuine human interactions. And if you look at some of the most like powerful superstars, they're also some of the kindest, most humble people. And, you know, say what you will about Taylor Swift... Her fan base is loyal. They love her, and she genuinely loves them. And you can see her standing in an arena. Sold she, out. she loves you too, Cork. 
Thank you. I hope so. I love her so much. Um, but you can see her talking to an arena and she's literally talking to the fan in the back. Like she knows everybody is there for her and she appreciates it genuinely. Or she's just an amazing actress, but she takes the time to say it. When you're pitching, when you're trying to get past these gatekeepers, even if that gatekeeper is just an intern, actually, especially if that gatekeeper is quote, just an intern, because that intern is going to finish their internship and then they're going to get hired. And personal experience, I was working with a guy in a live show. He was working as a PA for a network television, uh, a television network. And he was being bumped up to associate producer because of how great work he was doing. And he had to step down from the role in the show that he had because his work was getting too busy. He couldn't make rehearsals. He came to one of our shows. You know, it was great. We all, it was great to see him. This man has now won several Emmys in the last several years. And anybody who was treating him like a jerk when he was a PA, I'm sure he remembered that. And it's not that he's vindictive or he would ever be mean to someone because they were mean to him, but kindness will get you everywhere. So I guess what I'm taking a really long time to say is the way you get past the gatekeeper is you let the work speak for itself. If you have to explain yourself for 700 pages, you don't have a strong story. You need to have a good logline. Your logline needs to make sense. We have a whole work, a whole workshop that we did on loglines um, that it's available. The Q&A portion is available um, and the panel discussion is available as part of our podcast. Part one actually just dropped today. Part two will drop next week. And the full panel with all the logline breakdown is available on our Patreon. I know we've mentioned Patreon a few times. It's $1.99 to join. We're trying to be accessible. but we For as little as $1.99 a month. $1.99 a month. Um, or $1.99, watch the one thing you want to watch and then quit. I don't know what to tell you. But, um, the, that's fine, too. You do you, boo. <laughs> but um, making sure that your story is as good as you think it is, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I've had people come to me with a story and they're like, I don't know, do you think this could be a movie? And I'm like, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, it could be a movie. And I'm not saying everybody needs to be like, like they, and the authors were genuinely uncertain. They didn't know. They weren't playing me. They weren't trying to be like, uh, do you think it's good? Because I know that it's the, you know, they, they genuinely had a question. Is this, do you think this could be a movie? And I've had people come to me and they're like, I have this story. I'm really excited about it. What do I do? And they tell me the story and I'm like, oh my God, you're right. That's amazing. And, you know, I give them some advice about how to go forward with it. So what I'm trying to say is don't let the story be what's interesting, not you. You know, you are, <laughs> um, you, you are not what's there to be interesting. The story is what's there to be interesting. Everybody is there as a servant to the story. Everybody, even the biggest superstar and the most powerful director or the biggest studio executive. If the story is not there, it's going to flop. So have a strong story, have a good pitch, be respectful, be humble, and be willing to talk to a thousand people. Because the same way I said earlier, what makes me excited about a story, it's not going to be the same thing that makes somebody else excited about a story. And I've pitched the exact same story to five different people and had five different reactions because they are five different people. And you have to know that just because you get a no, okay, you only need one yes. Say thank you. See if there's any feedback that resonates with you and be, be honest with yourself. Um, this wasn't a writer, but we once had an actress. I, I talked about this in the acting uh, episode we did with Mary Jamison, where we had an actress who every time I gave her direction, it just felt like she just wasn't taking it. And I couldn't really get her to move at all in her performance. And when I brought her back in the room to let her know we were letting her go and why, 
I said, you know, thank you so much. I, I really loved your, you know, your submission. I just, I feel like I'm not really getting anywhere where I'm giving you feedback. I feel like it's not really being received. And without missing a beat, she looked right at me and said, really? I don't feel that way. And I was like, um, I got nothing. I was like, that, that, that's what I'm talking about. Nothing. You can't even think how it could pause, like not even a question or like, oh, was there a time when I did that or what specific, like nothing. Just no, that's not what's happening here. And I was like, um, okay. I felt bad for letting you go, but now I know I'm making the right decision. So just be willing to have those conversations. Be willing to look at your work. Never, ever, ever say, I just don't think I'm at that point in my career anymore. I'm too big for that. Unless you're like literally Tom Cruise or Taylor Swift, you're not at that point in your career. Or Tom Swift. Or Tom, Tom Swift. Um, you, there's nobody who I know who's really actually a big, powerful, important person who doesn't value feedback and who isn't still growing and isn't still learning. And even people like Tom Cruise and Taylor Swift are always, always growing, always learning, always doing things better, always taking feedback, always becoming a better person and becoming a better artist because of it. So, um, yeah, it, there is absolutely no one shot, push a button, become a superstar. Even the people who suddenly get their big break at Sundance or suddenly become an overnight sensation, they didn't just get their big break at Sundance. They spent years developing a film, making a film, putting it together, pouring their heart and soul into the story, editing it, finishing it, like the amount of work involved, even just writing a screenplay. I'm a festival judge uh, for a screenplay competition at a festival, and the festival director will not let us give below a certain score. Every script gets at least an X. And I was like, and he said, they literally finished a feature screenplay and felt confident enough about it to submit it to us to review. That's here. Like they, they've gotten this far. Everything above that is, you know, they at least hit here. And I'm like, okay, so every screenplay gets at least that grade because they, they did, they did that much work. So, um, network, connect to people, make yourself, um, in the writing panel, uh, Nora, one of the writers who's, she does a lot of memoir work. Um, and one of the things she said is something she always asks people is, so what? People come to her and they're like, I've got this story and I had this life experience and this happened to me and that happened to me and oh my God. And she says, you and everybody else in the every single human being in this entire planet has a story. Everybody has a story. What makes yours special? And that isn't a nasty, why are you so special? That's a, tell me, help me understand what about your story is so magical and so different. And please don't write a log line in a race against time two people have to do a thing before everything falls apart. Write something that tells me what's different about you and what, tell me so what, get me excited, make me feel as excited about this and as passionate about this and as driven about this as you are. That's my gatekeeper suggestion. And, and if you can do that for Cora, you will win Best Picture at the Oscars, guaranteed, or uh, your $1.99 back. That's called false advertising, and we do not stand by that statement. <laughs> that was a joke. That was me being comedic, and or at least attempting to be. Uh, um, well, we have two questions here. Do we want to finish these last two questions super quick? Super quick. I promise it'll be one-word answers from me. All right. Well, you can be more than one word. Give me two words. Um, uh, one is what – this was an anonymous submission – 
What are key things to keep in mind for a shoot day? Uh, red vines. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was supposed to be one of the questions. What's better at crafty, red vines or, or Twizzlers? Red vines all the way. Um, uh, I will say snacks. Most important things to keep in mind for a shoot day are schedule, weather, sunrise, sunset, where are the bathrooms, is there water, where are people going to change, where and how are you going to eat lunch, who is ordering lunch and will it be there on time, do you have snacks, does anybody have any allergies that you need to be aware of, is everybody there on time, is everybody doing their job, does everybody have what they need to do their job. A lot of it revolves around bodily functions and wristwatches. It does. It, it really does. You'd be amazed how much pooping affects a set. Because <laughs> you eat and then, okay. Um, all right, this is the last question. Ready? This is from Stevie. And her question is, what do you think is the hardest part of making movies? And what is the easiest part? That's why I saved it for last. <laughs> There's always a new hardest thing. There's always a new easiest thing. Um, it's different from project to project. And I would say probably working within the constraints of a budget and time, uh, like so many things, because um, I think it's like you could almost have a triangle in a way of your the budget, how much money you have, how much time you have, and then basically the story you're telling. Because you could get to the end of it and you would have, oh, I had the right amount of time and the right amount of money to make the perfect thing, but only if I could go back and tell the story differently, right? So it kind of comes down to like the story you're telling and how much time you have to tell it and how much money you have to tell it. Money can buy you time, I guess, but not necessarily. It can't necessarily buy you a better story. It can give you access to good storytellers, other writers and actors who can collaborate with you and all the team and everything. So that's probably, probably that intersection of commerce, art and commerce. The intersection of art and commerce is where a lot of the problems come up. But I think having a great idea, you can coast a long way. If you have very little budget, very little time to make it, I think the great example of this is everything, everywhere, all at once. Everyone should see this movie. You should if it's, if it's your cup of tea, right? But I'm just saying, if you love movies that take you by the shoulders, shake you, and say, "Feel this. You need this. This is a movie that was made for twenty-five million dollars and did what I think Doctor Strange Two couldn't do as well for two hundred million dollars." So the hardest part, I think, is having an original, wonderful thing to say and having the time and money to say it the way you want to. But I think that movie is evidence that maybe on a short turnaround and a smaller budget, a great idea can take you a long way. So yeah, that's probably the easiest part is when you have a great story, great people to work with. That always makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Um... I think the hardest the hardest part of making a movie is making a movie. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so hard. It's so I have so I have people who they come to me for like a mentorship and I start them and get them going. They're going to make their first film and I'm, I tell you this is a lot of work. Hey, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. And they're like, this is a lot of work. And I'm like, yeah, because movie making is one of the. It's kind of like being a parent or being an adult. Period. You know, if you don't pay your bills, your lights get shut off. If you don't go grocery shopping, you don't have any food. If you don't plan your day and, you know, do your laundry and have your clothes, clean clothes to wear, you don't have anything to wear. Like, if you don't do the things to do so that the space and time and efforts are created in a way that you can then utilize them to make a movie, 
you can't make the movie. If you don't, you know, if you don't order lunch, lunch isn't going to show up. Somebody has to do it. And we live in a world where so many things seem to just happen magically. Like somebody takes care of it and it just happens. But we don't realize every single step of the space between that goes from the idea and the fruition. And when you make a movie, especially if you're producing, you have to be the person doing all or, or making sure that it gets done. And every single thing, movie making is creating a place that doesn't exist out of people that were never born and telling a story that never happened. I mean, unless you're making a documentary or you're doing it like on a fictional thing, but even then you're taking a room and you're turning it into someplace else. And you're taking people and making them become somebody else. And you are going to convince anybody who sees this, that the person standing in front of them is real. And that level of create and responsibility is so massive. And every single thing has to either be done or it's not done. There's, there is nothing you can do in a movie that's going to coast. And if it does, you know, maybe they won't show up in a white shirt in front of a white wall if nobody tells them or they will. And you don't have great production design or whatever. So for me, the hardest part is the the time that it takes to do everything. And Space is talking about that kind of like trifecta of story, money, and budget. I would have to say, I feel like it's not an equilateral triangle because depending on your story and your time, it's it's kind of like the the I want it done fast, cheap, or good. Pick two. You can have a good story and a good budget and not a lot of time, and that's fine. You can have a ton of time, a ton of money, and not a good story. It's not going to be any good. You can have a ton of time, not a lot of budget, and an amazing story, and it can come out amazing. I mean, for Gone Gray, we spent a couple hundred dollars on that movie, um, and I spent way too much time i mean we took four days it's a seven minute movie we filmed it for four days like four full shoot days and i spent probably a hundred hours researching costumes and making props and all this stuff um and then the amount of time we spent editing it um yeah she, so, she worked really hard on this movie a lot harder than i did oh i just that's only because i was like really into the art design stuff but um it i feel like um the hardest part can be balancing that triangle, balancing the time, the budget, and the story. Um, and as long as you have two, you can counteract the missing third, except for the story. If you don't have the story, it's just going to be, I don't know, a Transformers movie. I mean, there's some movies that they start making and they don't have a story and they write it as they go. And sometimes they turn out okay. <laughs> well, I mean like a good story. Like, you know, you end up with some of these blockbuster flops where everybody's like, what was that? The story was weak. Um or a yeah. lot got cut out that then, you know, studio, that's a, whole, that's a whole other level of control. That's a whole other, yeah, yeah. That we personally don't concern ourselves with because we, we make, make it. <laughs> so we do it ourselves. I just, they, after all that, I want to do the mic drop for you. Okay, wait. Oh, oh. Mic See? Drop. Woo. Um, I will say for me, the easiest part of movie making is just doing it. Like, if I have the time and the space and nothing else and I can just focus, for me, it's it's just easy. It's such an inherent part of who I am that once it's all in place, once we have the cast, we have the thing and we're there and we're doing it, it just flows. And it's, um, we once had a shoot that 
did not go the way we planned it. And the last day wasn't even, we were the day before when we had scheduled that it was supposed to be a beach party for the cast and crew that they didn't know about. And they never got because we went way behind. And then the last day we ended up asking somebody to stay behind so that we could shoot stuff that we hadn't shot. And I think we filmed about 20 pages of script, just me and the actress and the camera. And we had like two scenes where we had sound um, and we had uh, Brian and Stacy on those. But for some of it, we literally, it was just, we just went into the room and just shot it. And it was so easy. And some of those shots, if I say so myself, are some of the best scenes in the film. And I feel like when, when you do the work, when you know your story, you know your shots, you know your set, you know the actors, the actors understand the characters, you've done the work, you've done the prep meetings, you've, when you've done all the things, it's kind of like when you're a ballroom dancer who's practiced so much or you're a gymnast that has practiced so much and your body just knows everything and your mind just knows everything and you just show up and perform and it's effortless. I mean, obviously there's always like the anxiety of performing, but like just knowing that you know what you're doing and all, all the prep, it's like when an airport's been built and the runway's there and the tarmac is perfectly smooth and the weather's gorgeous and the sun is shining and the plane is fueled up and it's clean and everything's perfect and you have like the most perfectly smooth takeoff because all of the things that come before that point were done. So for me, the hardest part is getting everything in order to get there. And then the easiest part is once you're there, just flying. And I love that part. Yeah. There we go. That's it. Oh. <laughs> so um, we went about an hour and a half. So I don't know if we want to open it up for any more questions, but um, thank you, everybody who's here. Um, if there's anything that you want to ask, I can do a, either a question spot or a question board. And I'll give a one minute window for anybody who wants to either type a question or pop up into the click to ask a question. Um, uh, if you click to ask a question, then you'll ask it verbally. If you ask a question in the thing, um, here, I'll put a question. This is, this is for Stacy. Ready? Um, Hello, I'd like to ask a question. I'm down here. Oh, oh, that's not a question, Monica. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Um, here, I'll plus one that. Can I, can I plus one it? There we go. Um, Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, to everybody who's listening to this, thank you to everybody who sent in questions. Um, that was a, a doozy. We had a nice wide range, I think. It was a great... Thank you, honey, for being here, Stacy. for... Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, it's great, great to be here and great to have been here and great to get off of here. All right. Wishing everybody a wonderful rest of your night. Um, thank you again. And uh, yeah, we'll have another panel in a month. And I think it's going to be about acting and hopefully it's going to have some pretty cool guests. We're going to find out this week. Okay. So long. And thanks for all the fish. <laughs> and that wraps up our Ask Us Anything panel. Um, thank you so much for listening. And if you want to hear more, if you want to get involved in things, interact and ask questions at our panels, just go to patreon.com slash spacedreamfilms for as little as $1.99 a month. You know, you can try it out, see what you think, and help us grow. And uh, yeah, that's about it. And stay tuned for our actors panel coming up. It's going to be pretty awesome. Bye. Bye.
You've been listening to Filmmaking Actually with Coralinda, Space Dream Productions podcast. Subscribe to us on any or all the podcast platforms, but we especially recommend our sponsor, Anchor. If you like what you hear, leave us five-star ratings and positive reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. It helps more listeners like you discover the show. But the best thing you can do if you really like the show is tell a friend. Want to leave a comment or ask a question? Email at filmmakingactually at gmail.com. This is Spacey speaking. And do you know how Reese eats her ice cream? Witherspoon. You know, Reese, Reese Witherspoon. And we'll see you next time.